Hello and welcome to another episode of the Supertop Podcast. I'm Paul Drake, recording in Vancouver. And I'm Oisin, recording in Oaxaca, in Mexico. Hi Oisin. Hello, Paul Drake. How are you doing? I'm good. I haven't spoken to you in at least five minutes. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, are you? Do you have an iPhone 10 still? I have. Yes, I still have an iPhone 10. It's just not the same iPhone 10 that I had last time we recorded. I think you should tell everyone what happened. Mm, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm not one to like ever blame victims in scenarios, unless that victim is me, in which case I <laughs> <laughs> will carry the blame with me for a long time. But um, yeah, I went out one night after work here in Oaxaca and... Ended up meeting some people and staying out longer than I expected and still had all my equipment with me that I had brought to the co-working space, including my iPhone 10 and an iPhone 6S and an Apple Watch and, uh, and a hard drive. And on the way home late at night, after maybe a drink or two or four or who knows, I had a little encounter with the friendly local police who asked me for my identification and... After checking to make sure that I wasn't carrying anything dangerous or that I wasn't like out to cause mischief, uh, sent me on my way home. Um, after which I realised I had been pickpocketed and had stuff stolen from my bag, essentially by the police. So that was uh, not too good of a, not too good of a, an end to that night. Oh man. Yeah, it was. I was shook up for a little bit afterwards, but I mean, I've I've moved on, and I found a store. I I think maybe the big part of moving on was when I found a a, a store here that like had iPhone tens in stock and managed to spend another fortune on my second iPhone ten of the year, and hopefully the only other iPhone ten I'll ever have to buy. Have you had this one yet for longer than you had the first one? I think so. I think it's I think it's two or three weeks. I've been a bit more careful in terms of like personal responsibility and stuff like that. I yeah, I'm I'm being more cautious. Man, though, yeah, it just sucks to not be able to go to the police. Obviously, like you're okay, you weren't hurt. It's a bit embarrassing, but it's not the end of the world. But I can't imagine spending my whole life living somewhere where you just don't have police. Effectively, not even that you don't have them, but they're actively working against you. Yeah, obviously, there's different attitudes towards police, like in all different countries of the world, and I mean, even the most developed countries like the United States. I mean, there's like large parts of that population who cannot trust the police either but yeah from talking to people here about this and about other previous incidents and just in general about their attitudes to towards the police I mean they're not seen really as like a force for protecting society I'm an outsider here and I'm only like getting to grasp like certain small little things about the society and the culture that I'm spending time in and mostly all of that has been like generally like really good and I love being here I hopefully do plan to spend like a lot more time here like over the rest of the course of my life like I it's it's not put me off like spending time in Mexico and I, I'm actually like a little bit hesitant about like even telling stories like this because I don't want to like perpetuate this notion of like Mexico is this like crazy dangerous place where you shouldn't go and stuff like that I mean it's there's so many things about life and culture here that I find so energizing and so beautiful and so like just full of full of joy and full of community and stuff like that so I mean it's it's an incredible place and I'm not going to be put off coming back here but bad things that can happen and one of those bad things unfortunately happened to me but I was able to replace what needed to be replaced and able to take steps to be a bit more cautious in future and um it was a difficult week afterwards, I think, like even mm. just feeling a bit nervous on the streets and stuff like that. But over time, that faded and I am definitely have been really enjoying myself here again over the past few weeks. So, so it's, it's good. It's fine. 
your Instagram is really great to follow. I really enjoy seeing all the photos there. Mm, thank you. I don't know if you see them, but I started using like Instagram stories lately as well. I really enjoy it because it's like I get so particular about like what photos I'm going to put on like my main Instagram feed. Um, and like, I don't know, it has to be like per in my mind, at least it has to be like perfectly composed. And I, I guess I'm in a way I'm trying to keep some teams going throughout the feed. But in stories, it's just like I'll see something funny or I like I'll be eating something delicious or there'll be a band playing on the street that I just think is like a really nice scene. And I really like like publishing that stuff in the stories yeah no it's good I and mean, it's better implemented than Snapchat but like it's just such a rip off and I hate that everyone's just accepting that they're they did this really sleazy thing copying some completely unrelated feature and then like jamming it into this app but it's like it's so funny that it's there now as well and like when I open messenger messenger is always telling me to put stuff in my stories as well the thing is I see lots of people doing Instagram stories I never see anybody having stories on Facebook or in Facebook messenger um and I don't really use Snapchat much anymore, so I don't see that too much either. But yeah, I mean, it's a funny way that they that they did that. But I mean, it's a different group of people that use the Instagram one, so I'll get over it, I guess. <laughs> we would never um, take feature ideas from other apps, would we? <laughs> uh, no. Should we start going through the list of Castro's refeatures? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe later. We talked a little bit about black themes on the iPhone 10 where because it's this OLED screen, when you use like a full black color, it's as if the screen is turned off. The same as on the Apple Watch, the black continues right to the edge of the screen. Um, so it's much darker than just like using black on a normal LCD screen. And so in response to that, a lot of people have wanted black themes. If an app had a night mode, they want that night mode to now use black rather than just like a dark gray. So we've been thinking about that back and forth a little bit. I think we, we chatted about it a bit in the last episode, but I think our opinions are coming back around and maybe against it. Yeah. I mean, in the last episode, I think the only one that we had seen was on Red. We've seen a few more since then. Overcast one came out. Reader one came out. They're the only ones that I have on my phone, but I've seen some other screenshots and stuff on Twitter. I can't remember what other apps. Why do you think people want this black theme specifically? I mean, they think it looks cool, I guess. A lot of it, I think, is driven by that there is this new technology that the screen can do fully black now and therefore we should use it. And the fact that the Apple Watch has always had an OLED display and has always had like a black background on it on pretty much all the screens, I think that kind of feeds into this idea that like, oh yeah, once the, that once the iPhone has an OLED display, that that should happen there too. Yeah. That in some way, it's like a natural way to display content on an OLED screen. Right. So it's kind of excitement about having a new thing and wanting to to use it in the way that you couldn't have used your previous phone. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't always look better, I don't think. We've talked about Unread before, and I think it does look pretty good. I think it looks really good on static screens in Unread. Like, the one thing that I, even still in Unread, or, like, across other apps as well, where, like, whenever there needs to be a sense of depth or a sense of hierarchy of something being on top of something else, that's where the black just starts to, like, fall to the wayside for me. Now, in Unread, you don't see that very often. It's just in transitions. So, but it still is just, like, when a fully black screen covers up another fully black screen in Unread, there's just something that doesn't sit right with me there because it's like when i'm looking at the black of a, of, of a static screen it's not 
that I think that, oh, there is like a black card there or there is an interface element that is black and therefore that could move over and cover something else. It's more like, oh, there's nothing there except the content. So then when that content like transitions to cover up something else, it's like, oh, hey, how is the black covering up this other stuff when in my head black is actually nothing? Yeah, it's just empty space. Yeah. It's not dark. And I think some of that feeds even into like just like how we perceive the world around us or like like a lot of like UI design is about like trying to mimic physical environments even if it's just like a concept of like a card of content covering up another card of content for example and in the real world like even if you have a black piece of paper or if you have something that's never fully black either so when you can see like this fully black background on an OLED screen, it doesn't feel like that's a physical object there, that the whole thing is this physical object. Like it just feels like the phone is fully black and then what's on that is some text or some images or whatever exactly. But it feels like if you were to manipulate that, you should just be manipulating the content, not that the black background should ever be able to move and cover up something else as well. So that's where in any app, all apps have transitions so regardless of the app I find it strange when like to see these transitions that happen with fully black backgrounds and then the other thing is apps that have chrome there seems to be a tendency to like make every single element on the screen now be fully black so color is no longer like a differentiating factor between toolbars and navigation bars and and headers and different things like that it's just all about like everything is going to have the same background color and in a way you could do that maybe you need to but you need to rely then on like other things to like differentiate hierarchy and space like for example spacing could do that or like the use of of lines I mean, drop shadows are obviously out of the equation because you can't put a drop shadow on a, on a fully black background. But like, if you want like everything to be completely black, I think spacing is much more important. Mostly, I also just think everything should not be completely black. Yeah. If you go back to iOS 7, when everything just got completely flattened out, in the last few years, apps have just started recovering from that and actually using subtle shadows to good effect and bringing back in some depth and layers. Seems like a shame to lose that again without a good reason anyway. Did you see Jared Sintler posted some screenshots of his new podcast app that he's working on called Sodes? Uh, I think he posted a player screen in light mode and dark mode. Yes, and it's definitely not one of the most beautiful podcast app interfaces I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, no, that... <laughs> wow. That guy is very good. It's depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so it's a beautiful looking screen. And one of the first replies was, oh yeah, what about like a totally black mode? And if you made that totally black, you just lose... There's this really nice gradient in the background, and then the artwork has a really subtle drop shadow that raises it up from it, and then the controls all look nice too. And if you took out that background, you lose the drop shadow, and it would just look like a like a wireframe again. Yeah. Like, you'd lose everything that's good about it. Yeah, or he has... Or there's a really nice, like, the bottom bar where the player controls are is, like, above everything else, has really nice kind of rounded corners on it, and expands out then to, like, become, like, the full player card. Mm-hmm. If everything is completely black, you also lose this notion that this bottom bar is above everything else. Yeah. So I think one thing that's maybe interesting to compare to is you mentioned the watch before. When you look at the watch and it's just the watch face and it's a more or less static screen, maybe there's a little jellyfish animating in the background, but the screen itself doesn't move very much. I think that looks good with the like fully black OLED screen. But if you go to any screen that has a list or like moving interface elements... They use these big rectangles for backgrounds for the cells. And I guess they need to do that or else it will just be, like you said, 
content floating in empty spaces. So if we did want to do like a really nice black mode, night mode thing in Castro 2, we'd probably take a cue from that, right? Yeah, I think so. Or at least that's how my thinking has kind of evolved a little bit over time on it. I know initially I remember thinking that, okay, one important thing to do if we do do a black theme for Castro is don't make every single thing be black. Like maybe our navigation bar and our tab bar would not be fully black because we want them to be hierarchically like above the other things. Yeah. But I did always think our table views should have like completely black backgrounds on them and then the content just scrolls over on top of that. And I just presumed, okay, that's probably the right way to do it. Until I started thinking more about the watch. And yeah, on the watch, when you're scrolling content, you never are scrolling just white text, for example, on top of a black background. The content is always in, the, yeah, as you said, like the wrecks, like these round wrecks, kind of like bubbles that float there. And that's the content that's moving. When that thought occurred to me, I decided to kind of try that out a little bit in Castro, just briefly. I didn't go like very far into it, but on our Q screen, for example, we already have this concept that the cells are a different color than the background and that they're floating above the background and you move them and there's like these gaps in between. Mm -hmm. So it occurred to me that like, oh, that's kind of close to like Apple Watchy where like the, if I make this background on this view be 100% black, will that then feel kind of like the way things are on the Apple Watch where content isn't fully on black but it's moving over a black background and that might be a way to approach it I tried it like really quickly I think maybe the colors would need to be adjusted differently the only thing I changed basically was the background color and when I scrolled it it didn't look right there's actually an issue with this OLED screen which I'd be curious to know like from people who know more about OLED whether this is just my screen or if this is like inherent to all OLED screens or to the OLED screen that's at least in the iPhone 10. So when I did that, for example, or anywhere else in the, on the iPhone where I have content that moves over a black background, for example, on the home screen, I have black background. When I swipe across the home screen to, like, say, go to a different page of app icons, mm -hmm. I see this, like, weird kind of lag. Say, so say a pixel that's going from complete black to now being turned on because content is moving into that area. There's a slight lag there as the pixels come on and similarly there's a lag in the other direction as the pixels are going off it kind of feels like it warps the shape of the app icons on the home screen as i'm dragging them across as i'm swiping across oh interesting and that was similarly that was happening in castro when i made the queue have a fully black background and then as i scrolled it it didn't look like the content was moving smoothly over a black background because it looked like the shape of the cells was was getting distorted. Like it kind of looked like a motion blur effect or something, but it wasn't like anything in software that was happening. It was just completely the hardware, that little lag as pixels change from being black to having some kind of color. So do you, do you think it can probably like that a pixel on that screen can change colors much faster than it can turn on or off? Yeah, that's what seems to be happening to me at least. Uh, but again, I'm not sure if this is inherent to all of the phones or if anybody out there thinks that it sounds like my phone needs like to be looked at or repaired or have the screen replaced, uh, please let us know. Because, yeah, that's what I definitely would love to do now with my second iPhone is have to get the screen replaced on it. <laughs> <laughs> if you scroll text in on red on a black background, is it noticeable there too? I don't notice it with text. Hmm. But it's on the home screen, so it's not like it's just something we're doing in Castro or anything. Yeah, it's on the home screen, and I saw it last night. I saw it in some video app. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, so I've seen it in a few places, but it seems to be more obvious when it's a block of color. It may also be down to my eyesight with the text. Maybe if I had, like, really good eyesight, I would see. But, like, when the text is scrolling, it's already, like, 
harder to perceive what's written there. But when it's like a big block of colour that's moving across black, it jumps out at me more as as that it's being kind of distorted. Uh, last thing I can think of to say about the black mode is that maybe there's an argument for just in the context of not getting hung up on design philosophy and just give the people what they want. We could like just do a black mode and then never use it ourselves. We could, but would we be able to sleep at night? <laughs> Probably not, no. I think there is going to be some really great designs that come out that have black backgrounds. Like, for example, I think apps that have been designed like from the ground up to work on the watch like have either really... Uh, deliberately or else just by following Apple's conventions have done things that make them look really good on that screen. Mm. If you design an app from the ground up that the idea is that this is going to sit on a black background and it's going to look best on an iPhone 10 or an, or any future phone with an OLED display and you design it from the ground up like with that in mind, I think there's definitely possibilities here that like there can be amazing apps in the future with black backgrounds that look incredible on the iPhone 10. But taking designs that we already have that have been designed for previous generations of phones and previous technology and just turning everything off basically turning the color off Mm. and being like hey here's like here's your iphone 10 optimized design i'm a lot more skeptical about that as an approach than than i ever have been so a new feature coming in castro 2.6 2.6 yeah probably already out by the time this podcast is i hope depending on how app review goes it's backup and restore oh i forgot to do a drum roll before Sorry. <laughs> Maybe not the most exciting feature ever, but I'm pretty excited about it all the same. It's not glamorous, but it's great that we have it. I did not do any of it. It works really well. I'm not saying <laughs> that those two sentences necessarily have to go hand in hand, but just in terms of like, I guess, putting myself in the shoes of a user, because yeah, I just started using Backup Restore the other day after Podrick got it to a point where it was ready and I love it. It's going to enable users to get a new phone and they don't and they want to set it up as a new phone and not do a full restore. They're still going to have their Castro data. Maybe I, I'm stepping on your shoes here since this is uh, this is your baby. So I'll let you take over. <laughs> Castro 2.6 by default will save a backup of all your user data into iCloud Drive. Um, so as long as you're signed into an iCloud account and don't turn off this feature, it's just going to happen by itself. So you don't even need to think about it. And then because it, the data is in iCloud, cloud drive rather than in the app itself you can delete the app and the data still survives even though the app is gone and yeah i think the main case is where someone gets a new phone and they want to set it up as as new as you said but also there are definitely times in every app where a user's app just gets in a crazy state that we can't emulate so we can't solve whatever bug caused it to get that way it's just unless we pay for them to give us their device so we can hook it up to xcode and test it and figure it out there's just no way out of it it's just got in a weird state and we do our best to obviously fix every bug we can but it's good when a user gets in that kind of messed up state to have an answer for them that's not delete castro and start again <laughs> like now they can delete it and within two or three minutes they can just have all their data back exactly as it was it's giving people a way back out if something weird happens because it's pretty heartbreaking when you have to answer a support email and say yeah sorry i, I fixed the bug but i can't fix your device so you're stuck in a crash loop you're just gonna have to delete it and start again yeah so previously the only recourse would be to do a export of the subscriptions and then re-import that back in yeah so you would have your subscriptions back but like you wouldn't have any of your history or your start episodes or any of the user data there around like what episodes are queued up what's in your inbox what haven't you listened to yet yeah you'd lose all that 
I think a big part of it as well is even just down to like user expectations. I know when you delete an app on iOS, you do get a warning saying like, oh, this is going to delete all the app's data. But I, I still don't think people really think necessarily that's really what's going to happen. There's kind of like an inherent understanding or, no, sorry, an inherent, there's like this inherent expectation that, oh, if I delete the app and reinstall it, I'll be able to get my data back somehow because it must be syncing somewhere. Yeah, most of the time that's true. For- so I think it's good that like now... If a user does do that for whatever reason, even if they just decide, hey, I don't want to, I'm, I don't want to use Castro anymore. I'm going to try another app for a while, and they don't like keeping apps around on their phone, so they delete it, and then they hear about a new feature that comes out at some stage, and they're like, oh, I like should give that a shot again, and they reinstall the app. Now they'll be able to be, like be back like where they were before. They won't be like starting from scratch again. Yeah, totally. Although, albeit with like a lot of episodes in their inbox, probably if a lot of time has gone by, but they can press archive all. It'll be fine. That archive all button is invaluable, guys. <laughs> Use it. The way we came to this feature was actually by way of considering sync. And since Castro isn't on any other platforms at the moment, like having backup and restore that works as well as this hopefully does. <laughs> I think we check a lot of the boxes for what sync can do for people. Like sync is what gives you that feature of being able to delete an app, reinstall it and continue where you were. Do you think we still need sync? I think we don't need to think about it until we're supporting multiple platforms. Um Someday I would like to to support iPad or maybe be on Mac as well. Um, and in those situations where people are more likely to have multiple devices that they want to listen to Castro on and pick up from where they were, then like full on sync obviously is going to be like an, an essential part of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people do have two iPhones that they use regularly or an iPhone and an iPod touch or something, or, or even they're crazy enough to use Castro on an iPad as a blown up iPhone app. Mm. Some people will probably wish that they were able to sync between devices, even though they're both going to be iPhone apps at the moment. But right. I don't think that's a mainstream enough use case that that's where we should focus our attention right now. Uh, yeah. I think we kind of know where we want to focus on things for Castro 3 already. And I think full-on sync is not part of that and does not need to be part of that until there is a another platform, essentially. Yeah, totally. And actually, I think a lot of the work that was done to enable backup and restore is very relevant for potentially doing sync in future. There's a pretty clear understanding of what data uh, would need to be synced and there are built-in ways of exporting it now. So I think it gets us like one step of the way towards doing sync eventually anyway. So it's not like this is its own cul-de-sac that we've just wasted time going down. I think it's still like a step towards the right place. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, so when we do move to like a sync model where everything is centralized on the server um, and the truth is in the cloud, for example, we'll then need to move from this concept of the truth is is this individual app that's running on the phone to the truth is in tentacles tentacles <laughs> tentacles is the name of our server excuse me for using that but uh, <laughs> um yeah i mean this the, this backup format that we have right now can will be like an easy bridge for that like we will basically can send one of these backup files from the main app up to tentacles and tentacles can import it and then from then on it's okay the truth is in tentacles now so neither of us has backup and restored our main install of Castro. We've been able to test it uh, using development installs so far. To prove that this works, or to embarrass myself live on the radio, <laughs> which is not what this is, at this very moment, I'm going to do a backup and restore it on my live version of Castro. So if I mess this up, I lose all my real data, which would be very disappointing because it's got all my listening history since we launched. Okay. 
This is the part where I definitely should have the drum roll. Okay. Do you hear that? What was that? <laughs> that was the backup completing. I'm now pressing restore backup. Okay. Okay. Ready to restore. Begin. So at this point, it's already completely deleted and reset my current install. And now it's adding everything back in. So far, so good. Any cold sweats? I'm getting a bit nervous. <laughs> so the slowest part of this is just like re-downloading all of the podcast metadata. It has to go and find every podcast that you've subscribed to or start an episode of and re-download that to your database. But it's done. <laughs> cool. Okay, glad that worked. So that's backup and restore. It's in Castro 2.6, either out now or coming out soon, depending on when. Maybe I should just record both and edit in the right one. That'd be slick, wouldn't it? Anyway, whatever. It's on the App Store, maybe. <laughs> So Apple announced yesterday that developers can now do pre-orders for their apps on the App Store. What do you think? Do you think is this something that's going to be used much? I saw people compare it to when uh, Mario Run was pre-announced, but it's not quite the same thing because that was you got like you got an email telling you and you got notified when it was out. And actually, those emails didn't even go out till like a day after it released or something, if I remember correctly. But it's not the same thing because this is like you pay, you buy it basically, and you don't get charged till it comes out. But you've you're going to have to go get a refund if you don't want it. Like the money is spent, as far as you're concerned. Yeah, that's quite a that's a big difference. Um, now for free apps, which is probably most apps, it's I guess it's the same except instead of you having to go back and download it when you get notified, it's just going to appear on your phone. I guess I hope there's also an email to go with it because lots of people have tons of apps on their phone. An app just appearing on the last page of your screen is not really a notification that something has happened. So, Oh, right. I didn't realize that they would just install the app. I figured you would like get a notification saying, like, oh, the app is out now. Do you want to install it or something like that? But I think it just installs once it's out. Hopefully with a notification as well, or else we'll all be, get a lot more better at looking out for those little blue dots or something. <laughs> A few people have tweeted things like, why do this when, like, it's not like there's a shortage of possible installs of an app or anything like that. Like, you can sell an infinite number of apps. It's not like you have to manufacture a new one each time. But I guess it's for marketing, really, so you can build some hype when you're in the last phase of, you know, you've got only a few weeks left to finish development. You can start taking pre-orders, get people excited, and they can act on your initial hype. Like, you don't have to get them to sign up for an email so you can remind them to actually go and buy it like you can start hyping it and they can act on it immediately so it's totally marketing i think yeah and i mean that was what the biggest thing was really about the super mario run push we latched onto the idea that oh there's this new feature in the app store where somebody can get notified when an app comes out but the even bigger part was that apple was already able to promote the hell out of that app like weeks before it came out it could be featured on the home page that like they were able to push towards it in that way i wonder will apple feature apps that are like available for pre-order oh yeah or will it just be that there's this extra mechanism that we can push users towards yeah that's interesting when nintendo got to do that and people said oh look nintendo's getting special treatment from apple that other developers don't get i think there was some like that's a reasonable thing to say but if i was saying that it wouldn't have been that i want that feature it's just that i want to get whatever features are new like i don't actually care that much about that feature <laughs> like for us we can't use it right really unless we decided to have a whole new have castro 3 be a brand new app on the store that's totally separate from castro 2 which i think we'll never do again if we can avoid it right no no i don't think we would ever do that again when i think of like the castro 2 launch is when i think about like that this could have been like an interesting possibility at that stage where like i think it was just about a week before Castro 2 was released, we uploaded the kind of demo video to our website and tweeted about it and got like 
we actually got like more like likes and retweets and clicks throughs of like that pre-announcement tweet than of like the day that we launched it so it could have been interesting if users were able to like take action at that point and like if they were intrigued enough by the video to pre-order it we could have seen like a bump of orders that came in that day and then another bump a week later when we actually released the app yeah totally so it could be interesting like for when people launch new apps or new paid apps there is a potential there for like there to be two launch bumps and that like they join together to be like your this is how our launch went rather than just the one on the day of the announcement that it's actually out and you can have a discount for the pre-order as well. So you could you can charge less for that part. That's interesting, actually. And it does make a lot more sense, I think, to have a discount on a pre-order than on, like, like a lot of apps have, like, their they launch and then they have, like, oh, it's 20% off, like, for the first week or something. Whereas, in some ways, that always seemed a little bit counterintuitive to me. Hey, now this is the week when you're going to get the most attention and the most amount of people interested in it. And you're also going to give them a discount at the same time. Maybe it like makes more sense to like get as much money that week as you can by having it be full price yeah but if the app isn't actually even available yet you're rewarding people for their trust in you or something like that for example yeah totally it makes a lot more sense for me for a pre-order to be discounted than a launch sale and i wonder where you get sales reports on like the pre-orders it could be kind of interesting for like judging demand if you realize oh look we've sold a hundred thousand and we expected to sell ten thousand maybe we should upgrade our servers might be kind of interesting from that point of view there's a 90 day 90 day limit on how long the pre-order to release time can be i wonder what they do in that case if someone bought on day one and now it's day 91 do they no longer automatic refund i guess or something or yeah they just never get charged i suppose because i don't think you get charged till it comes out if that was an infinite period and not like 90 days you could kind of use it as a weird kickstarter as soon as i get fifty thousand sales i'll release this app (laughs) or i'll build this app and it obviously it's not going to come out for like a year because i have to go and build it and then i was thinking well okay that's kind of ridiculous but maybe you could use it for stretch goals where like you're still going to make the app either way but if you get an extra or if you get twenty thousand pre-sales then you'll license this really good song to be in your game or you'll do something else that's not development intensive but is still a cool feature so you can do it quickly you'll do a black team (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll stop pontificating and just give the people what they want. But then you're still like, imagine, yeah, imagine we do that for a black team in like a parallel world where Castro 3 is a new app and then we don't quite hit the stretch goal. We still have all those pre-orders. So as soon as we release it, they're going to get charged and they're not going to get their thing. (laughs) So you're kind of screwed then. Like they'll all want refunds or be mad or whatever. But is that not true? Like of all stretch goals on Kickstarter, like if you say you have a stretch goal if you get to 40,000 for example and somebody logs on you're at 20 and they're like oh I want him to get to 40,000 so they give you whatever but you don't get to 40,000 yeah that's true that's true and you only have to give Apple 30% rather than the 10% or whatever you give to Kickstarter yeah that's that's good maths (laughs) (laughs) so that's another great reason to use that (laughs) no it it is interesting to think about that though longer term and like will the conditions on this change and stuff and Kickstarter has obviously been around for a long time and it's always been difficult to impossible to imagine like how could you use this like in an app development environment i mean obviously icon factory used it for twitterific for mac um, and obviously on the mac you have a lot more freedom to do stuff like that but for ios apps it was always difficult okay that's it for another year of the super top podcast yeah we'll talk about our new year's resolutions next time maybe again who knows oh god are we gonna have to like review how we did on those New Year's resolutions? Yeah. I don't even know. remember what they were. I know I was going to take a holiday. You're going to become a carpenter.
I don't remember. I'm really waffling here. Let's just shut this down. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. By soon, I mean next year. See you next year.